This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Eclectic Tech is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM, for the love of ham radio, is about the passion for an incredible hobby. Visit ICOM in the community webpage at www.icomamerica.com forward slash community. I'm speaking with Steve Allen, KC1SA. Good morning, Steve. Morning. We had you on the podcast oh, a number of episodes ago, very well-received episode, when you were talking about the shortages in chips, electronic components, and so on. Before we get into today's topic, is there anything new going on in that area? Yeah, it's still uh, progressing. I'm still talking to my uh, my peers in the industry, and it looks like it's going to continue on through 2022 into 2023. Um, I did hear that Ford shut down a couple of their production lines because they couldn't get chips for some of their products like the F-150 and the Mustang, et cetera. I'm not sure how long that's going to go, but it is interesting that uh, many of the auto suppliers now are putting their feet into the pond of creating their own chips. So should be interesting over the next 10 years what happens with some of our automotive industry um, people like Ford, GM, and uh, Chrysler, BMW. Um, as cars become more electric, I think you're going to see those guys get more and more into the semiconductor world of business. I'd heard much of the same that you had heard, uh, especially about uh, Ford uh, shutting down some of their plants. So, uh I guess hams need to uh, still continue to take particularly good care of their transceivers because they may not be able to get components for a while. Absolutely. Well, you gave a presentation to the Meriden, Connecticut Amateur Radio Club a while back on circuit simulation software, and that's what I'd like to pursue today, Steve. Can we start with just an explanation of what it is, circuit simulation software? Sure. The, the the presentation I did for our local club, um, you know, we have a mix of people in our club, some that really don't have any engineering background and some that do. So I tried to play the the to the audience. And, uh, you know, in, in essence, it's basically when you simulate anything electronic in nature, it's basically to save yourself some time and some pitfalls. So, you know, take a an RLC circuit. I mean, Pretty much everybody knows what the charge and discharge curve of a c- capacitor looks like. But that's the, that's the beginning spot of where you'd probably want to begin to learn how to do simulation. And the whole intent, again, is when you simulate something on a computer, you're going to save um, soldering time, if you want to call it that, or breadboarding or brassboarding, however you want to call it, a circuit up and swapping out components to see what works and what doesn't. You can do it on your computer much faster and you'll get pretty good results. Can you simulate any type of circuit in software, theoretically? Theoretically, but, it, um, you know, capacitors, inductors, and, and resistors, those are the easy ones. Um, the models are, you know, pretty well straightforward, and you have to have a model for anything that you're going to simulate. As products become more and more complex, let's take a, a switch mode regulator. Um, that's got probably... 75 to 150 transistors in it, and it's got inductors, capacitors, and resistors that are etched onto the die, and that becomes uh, a much more difficult model for you to produce. 
And so you're expecting manufacturers to give you the model for that particular device that you're trying to simulate. And um, so theoretically, yes, you, you can simulate anything, but it's only as good as the model that you're presented with. When you bring up inductors and capacitors, that brings up a question in my mind, which is in circuit simulation software, will it or can it take into account, let's say, shielding that might be necessary in an inductor or the effects of a field from a nearby inductor, that sort of thing? Yeah, then now you're starting to get into really complex simulating circuits. And, you know, my background is, you know, with semiconductors. So I didn't really do too much in my career simulating EMI RFI shielding, but there are software packages out there that do that and they do a very good job. It's just I'm not familiar with them. What's interesting is that some of the uh, advances in this, and I'll take switch mode regulators, for example, <clears throat> many of those are multi-phase. So they'll have a, they'll have a two-phase or a three-phase um, switching characteristics at, you know, some frequency, let's say 75 kilohertz or whatever, or they're usually much higher than that. But what they'll do is they'll, they'll take the inductors associated with those frequencies and they'll mount them um 90 or 180 degrees physically out of phase with each other so that the RF or magnetics uh, interference that you might get from an inductor switching on and off very quickly, um, you'll have the two inductors close to each other in physically proximity, and those two fields will cancel each other out. So that's some of the advances that's being done with um, semiconductors over the past probably five to eight years. That's a new... It's a new uh, area that some of these guys are, are doing with some of these switch mode regulators to make them quieter, especially for us. You speak of the different kinds of software, Steve. For a ham, for a listener who wants to give this a try, is there any particular kind of uh, or type of software you would recommend? Yeah, so um, so I, I come from the world of semiconductors, and you know, through my career, I, I supported many manufacturers. Um, um, I was I worked for a distributor as a field application engineer, so I I supported a lot of different manufacturers. One that I'm very familiar with is the linear uh, devices, linear linear tech or analog devices. Analog devices bought linear tech probably ten years ago. Is uh, a product called L, uh, LT Spice. And you can download that from the analogdevice.com website. Um, and also, you know, to give fair airtime, if you want to call it, to Texas Instruments, Texas Instruments also has a, um, a simulating circuit that is free. And both these are free um, from their website. And I think it's called TINA. I haven't touched that in probably five to eight years. But uh, TINA is what they call it. Both those products are free. And they all stem from the same lineage of SPICE. And I've sort of forgotten what that acronym stands for. You use it over and over and over again, and you forget what the acronym stands for. But that came out of, it grew out of Berkeley, you know, back in the 60s. And back in the 60s, it was a Fortran program that run on a mainframe computer. You did your simulation with Spice. Over the years, that's progressed to more of a graphical nature. And that's what Tina and LT Spice does. And there's many others out there, too. Some that you can pay for and some that are free. I'm basically telling all the, the hams out there, um, don't spend any money. Go out and download from the analogdevice.com website or the ti.com website the uh, free simulation software. Taking LT Spice as an example, if I wanted to start with 
let's say a power supply, a DC power supply, something relatively simple, and I mean a linear power supply in this case, is that something I could model and uh, simulate in, say, LT Spice? Yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to look at the. Um, I would have to look at the particular you know circuit that you're trying to do. But let's you know, let's say you know the age old seventy nine oh five, which are seventy eight oh five, which are plus and minus five volt regulators that have been around for thirty years. There are variations of that uh, three terminal regulator that you can actually do circuit simulation um, with these you know free programs, and from the circuit simulation you can determine you know startup time. Um, oscillation. Is it going to oscillate with this size output capacitor? Is it going to oscillate, um, you know, it, it, with, with, you know, these characteristics on the input side of the voltage? You know, the voltage on those, um, regulators can vary. The input voltage, voltage can vary, you know, from like seven volts up to, you know, 15 volts. I think they were rated for, you know, what happens if you're at 6.5 volts? What happens to the output? And that's what the, um, that's what the simulation software can show you. Um, is it going to oscillate? And, you know, uh, years ago, I remember my first, uh, uh, linear regulator that I did. I, you know, I was young and foolish and I had my decoupling cap on the output a good six inches away from where the, where the three terminal regulator was. And I couldn't figure out why it was oscillating until more of a senior engineer came up to me and said, yeah, you got a cap too far away. They put it closer to the, to the device and, Move the move the cap right next to the uh, to the three terminal regulator, and the oscillation went away. And that's all the stuff that doesn't quite get you can't quite see that in the simulation because um, simulation software that I've been speaking of really doesn't take into account um, you know distances, uh, layout, and things like that. That's all something that you still have to pay attention to. And many of the um, uh, semiconductor suppliers give you recommended layouts. Um, and you really have to follow them. Um, a lot of times, just copy their um, their uh, evaluation board layout, and uh, that that'll usually work for you. In the presentation you gave to the American Amateur Radio Club, I recall you were showing, uh, for example, that you could sort of select and drag, if that's the way to put it, components into your uh, circuit that you were going to create and simulate. With our linear power supply example, could you, for example, Steve? select, let's say, a 120 to 12-volt transformer and drag that into the circuit, or am I missing something? No, you, you can, transformers are, are modeled, you can bring them in, um, uh, and, and, you know, I'll take, for example, an inductor, you put in an inductor in, uh, in a circuit, and it's the wrong size inductor, it's supposed to be, you know, 3.7 microhenry, and you got a you know, 1.7 in there. Very simple. You click on it and you change the value. If you know exactly the manufacturer you're using, many times uh, the manufacturer has those models already built into like LT, Spice, and Tina, and you can just pick from the list. Um, you know, from from my design days, I used to have the DigiKey catalog sitting next to me, and I would just go, hey, that's a standard value. I think I'm going to use that part, and it's you know, readily available. And that's pretty much what these uh, simulation software have in them. They have the standard values that you'd be able to get out of a catalog and not have to wait, you know, special order or anything like that. So the answer to your question is yes, you can, um, you can drag those in there, you can hook them up. Um, and if it's not the right value, you can change the, the inductance on the input and the output, the winds ratio, et cetera. Um, be that as it may, it may not, 
um, it may not it may not be a hundred percent accurate because you're changing the values of what the manufacturer already modeled for you and put in the library. Okay, so I drag in this transformer. I put a, a bridge rectifier. I select one, drag it in, put that on the secondary of the transformer. I've got a voltage regulator. I have filtering capacitors. I drop those into place. Put a load on my hypothetical power supply, and then what? Click run and see what happens. Yeah, pretty much. You 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 click run, and then you immediately click stop. This is the way I've learned to use the tool. Um, because when you click run, you really haven't you haven't told the tool what you want to look at yet. So you click run. It sort of like gets the software into a known state. You click stop, and then you can click uh, and add either a voltage probe or a current probe into any node in the in the schematic that you've drawn. And then you go back and you hit run again, and wherever you've got voltage or currents um, uh, identified that you want to look at, they'll show up in a waveform display, and it'll show you the currents and the voltage for the various nodes that you want to look at. Now, what if I've selected some really off component? Will the will the software do the equivalent of saying "danger, Will Robinson"? Or how would you see that? Well, it probably wouldn't warn you. Um, it, it, that would be up to the, uh, the the brain matter between your ears, I guess, <laughs> to to um, to realize that. Oh, how come this thing isn't working? And then you would you know you'd go through and it's like, oh, I got the wrong value of you know, load resistor, and that's a pretty common thing, you know. With your load, you're usually putting a resistor out there, and you may have put too much of a uh, too low of a resistance on the on the output, and the regulator won't start. Um, so then you just so what I end up doing is trial and error. Is like I oh, only change that from you know 0.1 ohm resistor to a 100 ohm resistor, and let's see if the regulator starts. And then you rerun simulation. It's like oh okay, it runs. Well, let's see how much current I can get out of this, and then I'll go in and I'll change the load resistor, keep lowering it until I see oddities happening to the output, whether it be oscillation or it takes a long time to come into regulation, etc. Once you get our hypothetical power supply reasonably stable in the software, it looks like it's running, it appears to be providing the current that you believe you'll need. How do you make the transition, Steve, then from the simulation from the software into a real-world power supply? Yep. So, um, this, like I said, you've you've created a power supply schematic, and that's exactly what it is. It's a it's a schematic. It shows you resistors, inductors, transformers, the regulator, the transformer, everything that you've put on the schematic. You can print that out, and from that, it'll it'll if you've picked from the standard library list of the, it'll give you the part numbers. Um, then you then it would come time to do layout. And as I said before, you'd probably want to. Um, refer back to the manufacturer's um, layout guidelines for the particular regulator that you're trying to uh, create a power supply for. And most of the time, you know, I would say 95% of the time, the manufacturers will give you a reasonable, reasonably good layout that will most likely work. And if it, if you end up and you're still stuck, you can always um, TI is TI and analog devices have very good online um, web support. So you can go up there and you can open a ticket, if you want to call it that, and you say, hey, this is my schematic. Um, I'm trying to lay out lay this thing out with your particular regulator, give them the part number that you're using, and can you give me any recommendations on you know, pitfalls? 
and they'll come back usually within a week and they'll say, you know, you should place, you know, the regulator very close to, um, you know, your output capacitors, et cetera, et cetera. They'll, they'll give you a lot of good guidelines and most manufacturers will do that even for, I'll call it the hobbyist like we are. Um, as an, as an application engineer, um, I spent most of my times with, you know, engineering customers that bought you know, large amounts of products from us. But occasionally I'd have the college student or the hobbyist say, hey, you know, I don't buy anything from you, but can you help me? Most of the time I'd say, yeah, I can help you. And because um, you never know where people are going to end up. You know, they could end up being a big customer someday. <laughs> well, now, the regulator, since you bring up the regulator, in the circuit simulation software, how will I know what sort of heat sink to use or whether this regulator in this particular power supply application requires a heat sink at all. Will that become apparent when I run the simulation? So the simulation will tell you power dissipation for the devices. It won't give you um, LT, Spice, and Tina won't tell you, hey, you need to have uh, an aluminum heat sink this many square inches placed on the backside of the, the, the device. They won't tell you that, but they will tell you how much power dissipation there is happening in the device. From that, you can go back to the data sheet for the device and you can look at the temperature curves and make sure that you're not exceeding the uh, the die temperature. Typically, the die temperature on most semiconductor devices is around 150 degrees C. They don't want you to exceed that. If you exceed that, you lessen the life of the device. Um, so you, you basically you it's you know the thermal characteristics for a heat sink is pretty much Ohm's law except it's thermal. And uh, you basically figure out backwards, figure out hey if I don't want to exceed 150 degrees C, and I know I'm dissipating this much power, you'll usually see a chart that'll tell you how many uh, degrees C per watt the device um, will will dissipate or be able to withstand. And from those charts, you can determine how big the heat sink needs to be. And again, if you get stuck and you can't really figure that out, because I had a lot of customers that had a hard time figuring out proper heat sinking. You send it off to, you know, the websites from TI or linear analog devices. And you say, hey, this is my calculations, which, you know, avid, um, avid, uh, heat sink makes the most sense. And you send them a couple of heat sinks that you're interested in looking at and they'll, they'll pretty much help you out. So with software like LT Spice or Dina, uh, can I just sit down with my laptop one afternoon and just start playing, just start creating circuits? selecting components and then running to see what happens highly recommended <laughs> um actually um i'm not familiar with tina but with lt spice they give you a whole bunch of they call them jig files um and it's like test jig files that get installed automatically with the tool and they're basically test jig files for all the components that they have they do that for probably 80% of the components they produce. And one of the ones that I, I displayed during our presentation at the Meriden Amateur Radio Club was a cold pit oscillator. And they had a, um, I never designed a cold pit oscillator. And, um, they had a nice uh, little demo, uh, of a cold pit oscillator. And you can sit there in the afternoon and you can, Hey, what happens if I train, change this transistor to something that I got around the house? It change the transistor and Hey, does it oscillate? Hey, it does. I think I'll build this thing up. So you're absolutely right. Just sit down in the afternoon with your laptop and, you know, create a schematic or use one of the test jig files and hit run and see what it does. Do these applications require particularly powerful computers or will they run on no. almost anything? So I have a rather old Lenovo i5 
is not fast. It's like a, it's, it's at least 10 years old and it runs fine on that. I don't think it runs on Windows 7, but I could be wrong. Maybe it does. Yeah. I think, I think LT Spice does run on Windows 7, but you know, XP, no. Um, Windows 7, Windows 10, Windows 11. I have, uh, like I said, on my laptop, it runs fine. And I actually have a, a really old, um, i7 machine that's at least 10 years and it runs fine on that too. So I would say that pretty much any computer that's 10 years old or newer should have no problem running, um, these programs. You don't need gobs of memory. My laptop only has four gig of memory in it and my tower, I think, has eight gig. So you don't need a, you don't need a powerhouse. Excellent. I think I'm going to have to try it. Really. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, you, you gotta have, you gotta be a little, I'll call it geeky in a way. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta like engineering. Um, a lot of people, you know, I'm quite sure a lot of listeners out there, you know, really don't want to do this, but there's, you know, a few that, you know, probably want to, you know, Hey, how does that actually work? And that's one of the things you can learn from, you know, these programs is how does that regulator actually work? And, um, it's just quite interesting. You can, you know, probe around, look at the currents at various nodes. You can see what's actually happening with a switch mode regulator, which is really quite unique. Excellent. Well, thank you, Steve. No problem. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments, email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW. See you next time.